the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel.
The scriptures speak often about putting on the new man. The old is gone, the new has come. I'm wondering today, have you met Jesus? You know theologically about him, perhaps. You read the scriptures about him, perhaps. But have you actually met Jesus? The cry of our heart is that you would actually meet Jesus. As we've been sharing this wonderful St. Stephen's ministry in Hong Kong, what has so touched our hearts is that these drug addicts would meet Jesus personally and suddenly the presence of the Holy Spirit would overcome them and they would begin to speak in new tongues. There was a Holy Spirit presence. It's not simply an intellectual understanding of doctrine. The doctrine is vital and to have it correct and based on the scripture for the scriptures our final authority. It's the word of God. But you need to meet Jesus personally. Paul talks about knowing Christ after the flesh. And he says, we no longer know Christ after the flesh. We know him in the spirit. So the cry of our heart is that you would know Jesus by the spirit that it would be a personal, real encounter between you and Jesus and that everything changes when this takes place. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenlee and with me in studio is my wife. I'm Alexandra Greenlee. Thank you for joining us today. And we did say that we would open up the phone lines today. We asked you over the weekend to reach out and do an act of kindness for someone. And we said, we're going to open up the phone lines on Monday so you can call in and share. So our phone number is 877-534-0780. You're welcome to call at any time during this broadcast while we're teaching. The phone number again is 877-534-0780. Have you done an act of kindness in the name of Jesus for someone? And what did that look like? Would you like to talk about an act of kindness that you've done? I'm planning on going this afternoon to see a new mother. Her baby was born almost six weeks early. But fortunately, she and the baby are both healthy. She lost her first baby through miscarriage, sadly. So I'm very happy for her. She's going through a hard time. She's a single mom. Her parents moved to help her from another state, actually. But they haven't found jobs yet. So she's really supporting three of them, plus a baby. I'm just going to go spend some time with her, pray with her, bring her some shea butter, which I think she'll really like. I whipped it myself. And this woman is not a Christian. Is that correct? She grew up in the Baptist church, and then her whole family converted to Mormonism when she was 16, and now she says she's not a Christian, she's just spiritual. So this is an act of kindness that you're doing and giving away 
a very expensive gift if she were to buy it in the store, but not expensive because you made it. I love making this stuff. <laughs> what act of kindness have you done? 877-534-0780. Have you done an act of kindness? You've reached out and you've helped someone. And you've done so in the name of Jesus. 877-534-0780. We're going to take further this, this question of the new man. And to do that, I'd invite you to turn in the Bible to the third chapter of Colossians. Colossians, the third chapter. This chapter is so rich and literal in teaching us how to walk with Jesus. Let me begin reading. If then you were raised up with Christ, that's how we opened the broadcast. If you have had that personal encounter with Jesus, where your faith is based on the word of God, and the testimony you bear is that Jesus came to you and changed you, that you became a new person. He says, you must seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You must set your mind upon the things above, not upon the things of earth. For you died and your life has been hid in Christ in God. Now, the only way you can have that new experience with Jesus, the only way the Holy Spirit will bring you through that is literally, if you choose to enter into the crucifixion of Jesus and let the sin be destroyed from your heart. If you read quickly Romans, the sixth chapter, I'll begin with verse 3, Romans 6, 3. Or are you ignorant that as many as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Really, we were buried together with him, <clears throat> pardon me, by means of the baptism into the death, that just as Christ was raised out from among dead men by the glory of the Father, so also we may walk around in newness of life. It's that newness of life that we need and want. It's that baptism by Holy Spirit presence. The Apostle Paul refers to this also in Colossians, just a few verses up from where we read. He writes, You were also circumcised by him. This wasn't performed by human hands. The whole body was removed through this circumcision by Christ. That is, the whole body of sin has been removed. Your old life, your old man, your old body of sin can be completely removed from you, cut off, just like in circumcision. And then we're invited to put on the new man. And this new man, as you've shared, comes as we choose to die to this world. And as Paul says in Colossians, seek the things above 
where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Unfortunately, many come to Jesus, they walk down and they say a sinner's prayer, and then they leave and continue to seek after the things of the world. That will destroy our walk with Jesus. And if we zoom out a little bit and look at this passage in context, what we're really seeing in Colossians 3 is Paul's description of what we might say God's religion in contrast to the man-made religion which was expressed in Colossians chapter 2. So these are some of the features of the man-made religion, and I bring this up because... I believe Wava says 85% of you listening would identify as Christians. So it's far more likely that you've misapprehended the true character of Jesus and have unknowingly ended up in a man-made religion without knowing it. And so we're trying to direct you to what is God's religion. So the man-made religion Paul identifies here, this is Colossians 2.16, he says, don't let anyone judge you about eating or drinking, about a festival, a new moon observance, or Sabbaths. He says, don't let anyone who wants to practice harsh self-denial and worship angels rob you of the prize. They go into detail about what they have seen in visions and have become unjustifiably arrogant by their selfish way of thinking. They don't stay connected to the head, which is Jesus. And so he says, if you died with Christ to the way the world thinks and acts, why do you submit to rules and regulations as though you were living in the world? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these things cease to exist when they are used. Such rules are human commandments and teachings. They look like they're wise with this self-made religion and their self-denial by the harsh treatment of the body but they are no help against indulging in selfish, immoral behavior. So this is the backdrop against which we come to Colossians 3. I just want to point out a few things here. This is a pretty broad sweep that he covers of false religion, but the key here is that these religious observances are not actually any help against indulging in selfish, immoral behavior. They don't actually help you stop sinning. It's just a burden that's been put on you by somebody else, or, I mean, it may even be something you picked up on YouTube or on the radio. It could be someone saying, you know, you have to keep the Sabbath on a certain day. It could be someone saying, well, the length of your dress has to be at least past your knees. Well, none of those things actually help us leave our addiction. They don't help us have compassion for another person. So they seem religious, but that's not really what God's after. The other one I just wanted to point out, this is from 2.18, they go into detail about what they have seen in visions and have become unjustifiably arrogant by their selfish way of thinking. This is something you've probably seen if you've been in the church for some time. You'll sometimes some come across a Christian who seems to always be having dreams or visions from God, and yet those dreams and visions don't result in loving acts of tender kindness. They instead result in condemnation. You want to stay away from that. So now let's look at what Paul identifies as 
God's religion, beginning in Colossians 3. Well, in Colossians 3, I want to go back to what you've just shared, Alexandra. I looked at the news report on the drudgereport.com. At the headline, it was a picture of the Pope with his head bowed with a cloth over his head, praying for angels to come and help him against the devil. He says the devil is the one that is causing this stirring in the Catholic Church regarding sexual abuse. Well, I suspect it's not the devil at all. I suspect it's the mighty power of Jesus that is uncovering wickedness and calling on the Catholic Church to turn and to acknowledge the mighty presence of Jesus. So I was very disappointed to see the Pope calling for angels instead of the Pope calling for Jesus and his precious blood. We have to recognize Jesus is the only one who is the judge. He's the one who will set things right. We want things set right now in our life. Verse 4, when Christ our life may be manifested, then also you will be manifested with him in glory. Accordingly, you did voluntarily put to death your members that are upon the earth. And then he goes through a hit list of things that will destroy you. Things that a Christian will not participate in. He says sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful desires, evil desires, greed, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you also walked at one time when you used to live in these things. When we come to Jesus and we actually meet him, and the Holy Spirit comes and moves upon us, we now are given the power and the courage to turn away from all of these things. Now, as I look at this list, sexual immorality, uncleanness, lustful desire, evil desire, greed, what is the common denominator amongst all of those? Sadness, destruction in our lives, breaking of relationships. At the very heart of everything that is listed here comes destruction. And if we no longer want our lives to be destroyed, if we want to walk with Jesus and we have the new man, then we put aside all of these things. They're external things. They're things we do. As we come to Jesus, we choose to no longer do these things. And if someone says to me, Pastor, I just can't help myself. I'll say, yes, I understand. Jesus loves you. And he's calling you to let these things die and let God take them. This is not self-help time. This is the power of the Holy Spirit as he comes and literally removes these things from our interest. Verse 5. 
so we lay them down. And then he goes on, but now you did also volitionally or voluntarily put off all of these things, anger, wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth. You must not lie to one another. Having already put off the old man with its practices and having already put on the new man, the one being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one having created him. Now, can I be very practical with you? If anger and wrath and ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech, if these things are flowing out of your mouth and out of your heart, you've still not put on the new man. And I want to tell you, these things, anger, wrath, ill will, they will cause such stress in your life that you will result in some kind of breakdown. <clears throat> You'll have some kind of sickness. You'll have some kind of brokenheartedness because these are the things that steal the joy from our hearts. These are the things that grieve the Holy Spirit. And so as we you know, it's almost like Alexander, like a child. When I was many years ago at a counselor at a summer camp, and here comes a child with a copperhead snake carrying it in his hands and bringing it to us. And I, I was panicked because I knew that copperhead was probably not dead. He may have been knocked out, but he wasn't dead. So I quickly took safely the copperhead from his hands and put it in a terrarium and put a sealed top on so the snake couldn't get out. I said, let's watch. And it wasn't long until that snake began to twitch and move. And soon that copperhead was searching for a way out of that terrarium, very much alive. Now these boys had hit it with a stone, and they thought they'd killed it. But they hadn't killed it, they just knocked it out. If you're carrying around rage and anger and wrath and ill will and evil speaking and slander, you're carrying a copperhead snake around in your heart. And it will bite you. And it will poison you. Now, there's two sides to this. There are some people who are just angry people. But there's also times where we, because of what we've been taught about Jesus, we've been taught things that are incorrect. And we think that Jesus wants us to stay in an oppressive situation, that he doesn't want to free us. We think that Jesus wants us to stay in a situation where we're being mistreated or looked down on, and he doesn't. And so what can happen in that situation is this anger and rage can start to come up, and 
that's a result of not having clear boundaries. So for example, the Alcoholics Anonymous, I recently learned, has a uh, kind of like a sister association called Al-Anon, which is for the spouse of the person in Alcoholics Anonymous. So while the alcoholic is an AA, the spouse of the person is an Al-Anon, and they're being taught how to stop enabling that person to be an alcoholic. So they might be taught something like, do not buy them alcohol, do not give them money that they will use for alcohol, and if they become insistent on it, then you have to have a clear line of, if you do that, then I will do this. Now, it's the failure to have those clear lines and to let people continue to sin against God and to sin against you that will result in those kinds of feelings of anger and rage. I don't believe that's what's being spoken about here. I think that that's a misapprehension of the gospel that leads people to stay in those situations. So I don't want you to misinterpret this and say, well, you know, my husband's an alcoholic or my wife is an alcoholic and that makes me really angry, but I'm not doing anything about it. But the fact that I'm angry must mean that I'm not a Christian. That's not what we're saying here. If that is your situation, you need to take it to Jesus and see what are those clear lines and boundaries. It's not loving to enable someone to sin. And there's been such a disaster in the church over this confusion uh, between permissiveness for sin and grace. Grace is always within the context of those clear boundaries and accountability. You yes. love someone, you're trying to help them, they want help. Okay, now we have a grace situation. When you have someone who doesn't want to change and they're bullying you and threatening you and dominating to try to continue doing that sin, that's not a grace situation. Now that's an enabling or a permissiveness situation. So we need to understand clearly the things I've identified, anger, wrath. Anger is an emotional response. It's not necessarily right or wrong. The scriptures say don't let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, do what's necessary to process what you have to deal with. So pray it through. Talk with a friend. Talk with your pastor. But don't live in it because the negative emotions coming out of anger and wrath and ill will and evil speaking are like a copperhead and it will bite you. You don't want to live in that long term. So Paul is saying, don't lie to each other. Don't, don't cheat with e on each other. Don't pretend, but instead put off that old man with his practices. Put off that old man. And you do that in order to put on the new man. I remember, and maybe now's a good time to tell this story again. My dad was a lay preacher, and he used to tell the story about the homeless man, the tramp, as they were called in those old days, who was 
stoned by school children who was chased by dogs. His clothes were ragged and bare. His shoe had holes. His old hat was greasy and filthy and a hole in the crown. Nobody wanted him. He was an outcast. Everybody scorned him and avoided him. He smelled strongly. And then, one day as he's walking down the street, the wealthiest man in town pulls up in his limo. The window goes down, and the man speaks. And he says, Sir, would you like to come and live in my house? He could hardly believe his ears. Yes, yes, I would love to come and live in your house. The chauffeur got out, came around and opened the door, and the man crawled in the car. They drove to the mansion on top of the hill, got out, and as they walked in, the owner of the home said, Now, please understand, my aide will take care of you. Do everything he asks you to do, and I'll meet you for dinner. And the man, the wealthy owner, went about his business. Well, the aide said to him, Well, sir, the first thing we have to do is you have to get a bath. And the man drew back in absolute horror and said, Are you, are you fooling me? I've not had a bath in well over a year. I don't want a bath. I'll get sick. Now, sir, if you, if you want to live here, you're going to have to be clean. And why don't you just take your coat off and give it to me? And the man clutched his coat tight around him and said, this is my coat. It's been with me for many years. I'm not going to give you my coat. Well, sir, I have new clothes for you. I have a new coat for you. I have new shoes for you. But first you have to take the bath. I have everything you'll need. And the man said, I was not told this. I don't want to give up my precious coat and my shoes and my hat. I'm not going to give these things to you. Well, sir, if you don't let me have those things, if you insist on keeping them, and you don't take a bath, you'll not be able to have dinner with my master and you won't be able to live here. With that angry, the homeless man headed toward the front door, slammed the door, and was gone into the cold. I used to hear this story as a child, and it would touch my heart. And I would say, Daddy, how is it possible that anyone would want to keep an old dirty hat or an old dirty coat? I don't want to keep my old coat. Can I have a new coat? 
my daddy would laugh and he would say, Raymond, you have all that you need. But this man did not want what was offered, and he left and continued his roaming homeless life. Well, I look at that in terms of what we've just shared for you out of out of Colossians, the third chapter. It says, put off or take off these things, anger, wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech, lying to each other, saying, take these things off. That's the old man. And put on the new man. It takes a washing, a cleansing. And Jesus will do that for us. So let's now look at beginning in verse 11. What What is God really after here? God isn't just after us stopping doing things that are bad. He wants specific, positive, loving behavior out of us. So the reason why we have to put off these old things is because they that if we continue to do them, they would destroy what God is trying to get out of us. Now I bring this up because... Uh, sometimes Christians are apt to think that if they just stop doing really horrible, gross sins like going to strip clubs, that that now means that they're that they're doing everything God wants of them. But let's look at the first characteristic of of what Jesus wants from us. This is Colossians three eleven, the image of God that He wants to put in us. In this image, there is neither Greek nor Jew circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all things and in all people. Now this is remarkable when we look at, I mean, the political climate in our country right now is horribly divided. And we see that the first characteristic of the image of God mentioned here is a unity where we're not separating we can find this again in Galatians with a little bit more detail, but we're not separating over our race, over our socioeconomic status, over whether we're Jewish or non-Jewish, over whether we're male or female. And we've seen this in revival. If you recall when we shared about the Azusa Street revival, one of the most incredible things about that revival was from the very beginning when the Holy Spirit came and baptize those who were praying in the Holy Spirit. That there was a remarkable coming together of blacks and whites, of poor and rich in Los Angeles because the power of the Holy Spirit is there. So it's clear the old man, which we've seen demonstrating itself in graphic color, in every news report for the last weeks, lying, cheating, slander. We've watched as every destructive thing has been done to try to win, even if winning would destroy our nation. And in fact, nobody's really won. There's just been a lot of pain and greater disunity coming about in our country. As one man said, I'm glad that at least we were able to destroy Judge Kavanaugh. Well, 
What kind of a goal is that? To destroy another man's reputation because we don't like his politics? And neither is it right for someone who has survived domestic or sexual violence, I mean, to have to bear themselves before the whole country and expose themselves to public ridicule. That's what I mean when I say nobody wins. Regardless of what the truth is, the whole situation is one in which nobody wins. And it's horribly painful and destructive. That's not what Jesus wants of us. He wants us to have the image of God where we don't fight and try to destroy each other, but rather where because we've experienced God's love, this is verse 12, it says, therefore, as God's choice, holy and loved, it's because God has loved us that we then do what? That we then put on compassion. Does your translation say bowels of compassion here? Well, the one, one translation says um, feelings of deep compassion. Uh, the King James Version says bowels of mercy. In other words, when, when everything is sorted out, in this third chapter, all of the poison snakes that bite us, the wrath, the slander, the anger, all of these things are finally sorted out. The first thing that God wants us to do is put on deep feelings of compassion. That's number one, where we honestly begin to care about each other the sign that you have had an encounter with Jesus, the first sign of that encounter will be you will care about somebody else. And this translation, bowels, is very interesting. We find it again in First John. The Apostle John writes that if anyone sees a brother or sister in need and shuts up his bowels of compassion... How does the love of God dwell in him? Well, that's a really interesting image if you think about it. Your bowels are something that they want to move. They want to flow. And so the image of not acting in compassion is the image of shutting up your bowels. Basically, you have to go to the bathroom and you hold it in and don't go. That's a really interesting image God has chosen here, but... There's, and there's a lot we could talk to about that in terms of symbolism. But I bring it up because I want you to see like the strength of feeling that we're talking about here. Almost the naturalness of it. It's normal for our bowels to move. And it should be normal as Christians for us to have these bowels of mercy and bowels of compassion. That we see someone who needs something and we're moved and then we act on that. Well, Jackie Pullinger, as we've shared out of Chasing the Dragon, talks about this, and this coming Friday we'll have a message by her where she's preaching on this question. Of compassion. Of compassion. And she's going to say that compassion comes first with seeing. Uh, when Jesus dealt with the man with leprosy. He had to see the man. He had to be present 
with the man. So he saw his leprosy. And then it said he was moved with compassion. Well, the word compassion, the root word is pain. So Jesus is pained in his bowels over the condition of this leprous man. He sees the agony. He sees the pain. He sees the anguish of this man's heart. And he's moved with that. Moved in the sense, not emotionally, but moved in the sense, I have to do something to change this man's situation. I can't let him continue in this very painful place. And then the next step is, the hands have to reach out and touch. The hands have to reach out and touch. Now, this is what happens in true religion. This is what happens when we have bowels of compassion. And Jackie Pullinger will say in this sermon on Friday, and just kind of a throwaway statement, and she doesn't dwell there long. She says the church is constipated, meaning Christians have somehow lost their ability to be moved, to reach out and touch. In other words, she says Christians are always eating, but they're constipated. It's not coming. What they're eating isn't coming out. It's not coming through their life to touch another person. And she was asked, well, how do you get refreshed? You're always giving. How do you get refreshed? And she said, the more I give out, the more God refreshes me. In other words, there's a flowing in and a flowing out. That's the law of life. And these things, anger, bitterness, slander, these things cause the heart to be blocked and cause us not to be able to reach out and make a difference in somebody's life. So let's return to what happens after compassion. Well, the first thing that happens is kindness. What is it in your translation? Kindness. Kindness, humility. Someone just recently, I won't identify, but they ask us for some help. And my first response to their request for help was, of course. But I can remember a time in my life when my first response would have been, my first response would have been, are you kidding me? I don't have enough for me. How can I, how can I help that person? But no, I've learned the law that as I pour out, God pours in. And it comes out of kindness and humility, courtesy. Gentleness. Gentleness patience, bearing with one another. We have a caller on the line. 
uh, Earlette, are you there? Hello, Earlette, are you there? Yes. Thank you, you for taking my call, Pastor Ray. How can we pray for and, you? Or what would you like and, to share? Well, I want to thank you, uh, Alexander, actually, um, especially for giving us specific examples of how to reach out, you know, and care for others, even in small ways. So important. So anyhow, well, I um, did go to a wedding, and it was a Christian wedding over the Delmarva Peninsula, and it was family. And I was just surprised they were Christians, you know, marrying, and the vows were personalized and incorporated their pledge to God and Jesus and so forth. But no one in the conversation, of course, the acoustics weren't the best in a restored barn, but no one really talks about the Lord sometimes, you know? Um, they don't even mention it in their conversation. And and we knew that they had met in church, the couple. But anyhow, so I just really need, like so many others, um, Pastor Ray, I, I need the Holy Spirit more just like you. Can you, you think know, the of manifestation anything? of it. Can you think of anything you could do for this couple that would be kindness, that would open them more to Jesus? Um, they, they come from, from good families. Um, oh, I mean, oh, no, I know they're, they're believers. There's no doubt about that. But um, there are other members, my sister's kids. But I was able to pray with uh, one who's raising three boys on her own but has a great job. And, uh, she, I, uh, and she isn't, you know, practicing or interested or got the boys in church. And I did reach out and pray with her, praise God, and she accepted it. She didn't say, no, Linda, i got to get to bed. i got to get up early and drive. Find you almost know? everyone will receive prayer. It's amazing. People it's, want to be it's prayed It's amazing. For. So, well, yes, I need, as Jesus is getting closer, right, um, I need the power of the Holy Spirit more. We just have a moment left. I'm going to pray with you. Thank you. Lord Jesus, I lift Earlette up before you and ask now for the fullness of the anointing of your Holy Spirit upon her. Yes. Lord, she is asking for the powerful presence of the Holy Spirit that she could go into a, a wedding where everyone is not serving you and be able to minister to them. That wherever she goes, she can minister in power the love and the kindness and the mercy that you have, Jesus. Lord, I thank you. Yes. We just stand by faith for that anointing. Lord, I need yes. it. Yes. Alexandra yes. needs it. Yes. Lord, we need this power this mighty yes, do, Holy God. Spirit presence. And I just stand by faith for that baptism. Yes, thank in you. In fullness. Yes, Lord, God, thank, thank you. Me. Yes. Amen. God bless you, Earlette. Thanks for your call. Thank and we, we love the reading of the book. We, we, we learned a lot. Good. All listen right, this God bless Friday, you now, and thank you so much. Listen... Listen, this Friday, she'll be preaching on the on this station. Oh, good. Another an, an, another interview. Another one. Yeah. Great, great, great. Okay. Love you. Bye-bye. God bye. bless you. Bye.
Well, we just have a few minutes left in this broadcast. I wanted to invite you, uh, as I've mentioned last week, I'm putting together a bra party outreach for several women who are in need. These are poor women who are not Christian. And we are still far short of the $600 that we need to buy them all new undergarments and to take them out to eat afterwards. If you would like to contribute, I would be very happy. You can send a check or cash. Just be sure to somehow mark your offering as for the bra party. It is this Sunday, October 14th, and we are shooting for $600. If it all doesn't come in, we'll have to skip the eating out and just do the bras and panties. You can write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. That address again is the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. And just be sure to mark your gift, Bra Party. You can also contact us on the webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com, and you can donate on that page. And I just want to say how much, how much I treasure the gifts, the offerings that you have all sent that allow us to be on the air this month with last month paid for. And now we're working on this month. I don't want a crisis at the end of the month again and have to spend three or four days on fundraising. I just trust Jesus to send you as you are moved by the Spirit and respond to his call. Now we're going to continue this topic tomorrow, putting on the new man. God bless you. We love you. We trust Jesus' work in you. Visit our webpage, nationalprayerchapel.com. That's nationalprayerchapel.com. You can listen to this message again. We are Pastor Ray and Alexandra Greenlee from Pilgrim's Progress. We'll talk to you soon. God bless you. Now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy with great joy now unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our AM 780 WAVA.
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.